How many of you engaged in that uh, little exercise and let your mind wander? All three of you, five of you, great. Well, during this next uh, section of worship, I'm gonna ask you to engage in an exercise um, to not let your mind wander. (laughs) So uh, back in 2012, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis won the Academy Award for Best Actor in his portrayal of President Abraham Lincoln. How many of you saw that movie? A good number of you, yeah. And the seriousness to which he took that role is legendary. I mean, even if you haven't seen the movie, you've probably heard about it. He isolated himself for months and read through pages and pages of firsthand accounts of people interacting with the president just so he could mimic exactly his style and tenor and every idiosyncrasy. In fact, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis during the entire filming of the movie, stayed in character for months on end. I mean, his peers even today marvel at his preparation and unwavering commitment to embracing the role that he played. Well, 12 years earlier, uh, Brendan Fraser, another uh, actor, also portrayed Abraham Lincoln in another movie. Uh, (laughs) The critics were not as impressed. How many of you have seen that movie? Wow, a couple guys actually admitting that. What is, what is that movie? Okay. <laughs> well, while he possesses enormous talent as an actor, um, he, did, he failed to embrace and embody that role that he was given. Now, why do I tell you this? Because we are in a series called uh, Don't Waste Your Life. And today, we're going to be talking about don't waste your family. Because even though it's Mother's Day, it would have been strange to say don't waste your mother, right? <laughs> so don't waste your family. And, and, and we're asking, how do I measure whether I'm wasting my life or not in all these different areas of my life? And one way to evaluate that is to look at how faithfully and to what level of commitment I embrace the roles that God has given me in life. And the reality is that God has given us multiple roles to play and to fill. So today, I want to look at one specific role in particular, right? All of us come from various backgrounds and, and cultures and races. We, we are all in different stages of life right now. But there is one role that all of us fill. And it's, the role that, it's a role that I'm not sure that we give enough time and attention to Uh, And we want to figure out how to fill that role really well. And that role is that we are all members of a family. A natural assumption when we talk about family, especially in this congregation, is to think, well, we're going to talk about parenting, which is totally legitimate because, I mean, besides, it it is Mother's Day, right? And uh, we have a lot of parents here. But I would say that we have a larger percentage of people here who are children, right? Anybody here who's not a a child? Like 100% of us came from somebody, right? No hands. Okay, good. Just making sure. So I want to focus today on our family of origin because here's the reality. No matter how far you've moved away from your family of origin, they continue to have a profound impact on who you are today. Growing up as a teenager, I remember my dad, who was a strict disciplinarian, uh, whenever I would ask him if I could do something, his standard answer was no. And when I would ask him, well, why not? His go-to answer was, because I said so. 
I hated that response. I mean, so can I go next door and play with my friend Jim? No, well, why not? Because I said so. I vowed as a teenager that I would never, ever say that to my kids. (laughs) Many years later, and 800 miles away, and I've moved very far away from my parents, right? Uh, What do you think when, when my daughter says to me, Daddy, can I do this, right? At some little young age that she's at, and the first time I told her, no, and I didn't have a good reason to give her, what do you think I said? Because I said, why? Because I said so, right? And I thought, my God, the first time I said that, I was like, oh my goodness, I am my father's son. This is terrible. And so no matter how far you move away, they continue to have a profound impact on you. And here's the thing, if I were to ask your life story, many of you, you would say some of your happiest moments in life as well as some of your most painful moments in life come from your family of origin. And some of you are going to counseling or seeing a therapist because, and it's probably not because you have an annoying neighbor or coworker. It's probably because you're trying to unwind all the complexities of all the emotional experiences that you had as a kid. And so some of you are thinking this morning, oh man, family of origin, that's the last thing I want to talk about, right? I mean, I've been trying to get away from my parents for so long. Why do we have to talk about that? Maybe one or two of you are thinking, oh man, I just had the perfect family. Anybody here, right? Yeah, one? Okay, great. Thank you. Congratulations. (laughs) Fantastic. I think you're like the only one, right? And you're thinking, yeah, right, man, I've been waiting to learn new ways to honor my parents. Well, for many of us, though, uh, we're like the comedian George Burns who once said, happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. (laughs) (laughs) And so many of you feel that way, too, right? I talk to young couples, well, we're moving back into this area you know what, my parents live, uh, you know, a couple hours away. Well, what? Well, you know, because then we're close enough that if we ever need anything, they're there, right, like free babysitting or something, but it's not like they're so close that they could just stop by anytime they want to. Or as a college student, think of the same thing too, right? We lived in New York, and I was like, man, I just want to get away from my parents as far as possible, but not too far, And, uh, you know, the thing that I've learned over the years growing up is that uh, you are forever bound to your family of origin, right? Uh, They they have an enormous impact on you to this day, no matter how much you try to run away. And, And I will go as far as to say the ongoing quality of your relationship with God is inextricably linked to your family of origin, so you're thinking, what does my parents have to do with that? Well, I know it does. How you treat them, how, how, you, how you interact with your family of origin says a lot about the ongoing quality of your relationship with God. Look, look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor. Why? So that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, God is saying, look, husbands, you, the, I, I'm concerned about how you treat your wife. It's that it's in an understanding way, that it's with honor. And if you don't treat her the right way, I'm not going to listen to your prayers. Paul instructs uh, his protege, Timothy, in the book of 1 Timothy, teaching him uh, this, uh, about this church that he's leading, about how adults are to care for their aging parents. And, and this is what he says. 
in 1 Timothy chapter 5, let them, these are adult children, first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So Paul defines godliness as showing care for your aging parents. I don't know that I've ever thought or would have linked godliness with showing care for my aging parents. Right, but that's exactly what Timothy, uh, Paul says to Timothy. Later on in this, in this passage, Paul goes as far as to say this. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I don't even understand fully what that means, but it sounds terrible. What Paul is saying is that God so links your faith in Christ with how you treat your biological family. And so this is a role that God wants us to take very seriously because you are forever bound to your family of origin, no matter what they've done to you, no matter what you've been through, and God will evaluate your life based on your treatment of them. Now, some of you are thinking, well, why, why would God do that? I mean, doesn't he know the kind of family I have? It's not like I, these are the kinds of people I naturally want to hang out with, right? Uh, why does God bind me to them so that I have to go see them every Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever? D- doesn't God know how dysfunctional my family is? Well, let me, let me just start off going way back in the book of Genesis, right? First of all, family is God's idea, right? He designed family for human flourishing. But what happened? Sin entered the world and then threw family into a tailspin of death and destruction. And so Adam and Eve, right, their relationship, there was once vulnerability and total honesty. Now it's filled with shame and blame. And then it gets worse when they have kids, right? They have kids and then what happens? One son murders the other, I mean, talk about dysfunctional family. It's fascinating. As I've counseled people over the years, and they share with, people share with me their pain that they experience at the hands of other family members. The way that people often talk about their pain is as an isolating experience. And so they say things like this, man, you have no idea what my parents are like. You have no idea how dysfunctional my family really is. And they see the pain they've experienced in their family as something that isolates them or sets them apart from the rest of humanity. Well, according to the Bible, this is what it says, right? The very first nuclear family of four, right? Not even extended family, nuclear family of four, the one murdered the other. And so families have been dysfunctional from the very beginning, And so this is what it means to us, right? If families have been dysfunctional from the very beginning, ergo, it's a fancy way to say, therefore, the brokenness in your family doesn't isolate you, doesn't set you apart. It actually connects you to the entire human story. Welcome to the story of the human condition if your family is dysfunctional. And I'm not saying that to minimize the pain you've been through, but to maximize the brokenness of this world. And so whenever you read through the Old Testament, and if you've done that, I mean, it's just crazy how how dysfunctional things are, right? I mean, family members are murdering one another. Uh, They are swindling one another. They are sleeping with one another. They are sexually abusing one another. And so you see all kinds of sin and brokenness. 
And yet, in the midst of that darkness, God does something. Through Adam and Eve, they have another son named Seth who call, begins to call on the name of the Lord. And through the lineage of Seth become, comes Noah and, and the flood. And then through that comes the, uh, the, a family through the, uh, of Abraham, right? Abraham, God tells Abraham in Genesis 12, I will bless you. And through you and your family, you will bless all the families of the world. And so God redeems the family unit to, as a means of blessing other people. And God's grace starts with this one family, and then it becomes this tidal wave that crashes over all the other families in the world. And so God redeems that story. So much so that even today, and this is the passage that we're, that we're going to look at briefly, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, your family too, right? God sovereignly chose and, and, and named your family that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so this is the whole point that Paul is trying to make. Look, yeah, you know, you, you may have family members that you wish weren't part of your extended family or whatever, but look, it's God who reigns sovereignly over your story. The God whose love cannot be measured, whose grace comes crashing down on you, who washes away your sins, cleanses you from unrighteousness, who calls you his own, adopts you into his family, and now dwells in your heart in, through faith. It, he is the loving God who, who rules over your family. And when you realize that God's sovereignty placed you in your particular family, it instantly liberates you from a, a victim mentality that we can often possess where we blame other people for all the problems that we have in life. And it gives you the compassion uh, to, to, it gives you the ability to uh, um, have compassion on those uh, people in your family, especially those uh, whether they fill their roles well or not. So, so this is the story of, of the family. Uh, I, I'm, I'm the oldest uh, sibling out of two. My younger brother is five and a half years younger than I am. And uh, I was not uh, uh, that great of a brother. Well, I mean, okay, I, I was kind of like the mafia, right? Uh, I, I was very protective of my younger brother. Nobody could beat him up. But, uh, you know, I could beat him up if he, if he didn't give me what, what I wanted, right? Uh, one thing I remember doing, uh, actually, let me do this. Uh, how many of you are older siblings? Maybe not the first, but you're, old, you're an older sibling. Right? How many of you are like at the bottom? You're the, you're the youngest, right? I want you to take a moment now and share with the person next to you, behind you, like if you're an older sibling, like the meanest thing that you've ever done to your sibling. If you're the youngest, uh, you could either like share like the meanest thing that a brother or sister has done to you, or, if, or, or, maybe, or maybe even though you're the youngest, like you, 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 you gave it right back to them, so you could... Uh, but take like 30 seconds and share like the meanest thing that you've ever done or ha had been, uh, something that's been done to you. Go ahead.
All right. Man, you guys got some good stories to share. <laughs> so, this isn't even the meanest thing that I did to my younger brother. But one thing I did, I must have been like 10 or 12, and so he was like five or seven. And I told him one day that, uh, I said, hey, Sam, you know, I got to let you in on a secret. He's like, what's that? Um, I didn't want to be the one to tell you, but uh, you're, you, you were actually adopted. And he's like, no, I wasn't adopted. I was like, yeah. In fact, mom and dad found you and picked you up under a bridge. <laughs> and if he were here, he would, still, he would tell that story. Yeah, yeah, he told me that they found me under a bridge, right? And I was so convincing, right? And you know what happens when you have like, you know, the firstborn son. Like I opened up all the family albums. I'm like, look at all the pictures of me, Sam. <laughs> What is the earliest picture of you? Uh, I, guess, uh, I guess I'm three. Exactly. <laughs> they picked you up when you were three years old from under a bridge. Right? I say that because, look, uh, we're, we're going to dive into a, a story, a narrative that really helps us understand God's sovereignty over our families, right? And no matter how, again, that wasn't even the meanest thing I've done, confession, but... Just, just listen to what happens to a guy named Joseph. He has a bunch of older brothers in the book of Genesis who don't like him because they're jealous of him, which is, happens, which is what happens when your dad has four wives at the same time, right? Talk about dysfunction in that book. And so all these brothers, they hate little Joe, right? Because little Joe is dad's favorite. And so one day, all the brothers are out uh, in, the, in the shepherd's field taking care of the sheep when, when little Joe goes out there and says, hey, guys, what are you doing? And, uh, and so what happens, they, they're, they're, they think, man, what's this little twerp doing here? They grab him and they throw him in an, in, into an empty well. And then as they throw him in there, they, Joseph has to sit there listening to his older brothers debating whether they should kill him or not. Uh, and then it says later on as they're debating, it says, and then they sat down and ate. Which, if you think about it, that, that's how casual they were in talking about how little their little brother's life meant to them. <laughs> that they were just sitting down, eating a sandwich. Hey, should we kill little Joe or not? And then so a caravan of, of, of uh, merchants come by, and so they decide to sell him. Sell him into slavery. I mean, as much as I've been tempted to do that with my younger brother when he was little, I've never done that. And so you think, man, this is going to cause uh, some psychological problems in Joseph, right? So Joseph becomes a slave, he, and then he gets wrongly accused of a crime he didn't commit. He gets thrown in prison where his case is left undefended for years on years on years before finally, by the grace of God, he, he's let go. He gets a job in the household of Pharaoh where he rises through the ranks until he becomes second in command over all of Egypt, now, before, that sounds like a great rags to riches story, but here's the thing. The, the, the impact of his family hasn't left him. As he approaches the age of 40, uh, Joseph has a son and names him Manasseh. Manasseh means, in Hebrew, God has made me forget all my pain and all my father's household. 
Uh, in other words, uh, he's thinking, uh, uh, you know, he thinks he's still, he, he thinks he's still deal, uh, uh, dealing with unresolved uh, problems here, and he's close to age 40, and he names his son, this is basically what he names his son. He, he's basically saying, you know what, forget all my pain, and you family that cause all this pain, screw you. I mean, gosh, uh, this guy's got some deep pain lodged in his heart all throughout his 30s and even into his 40s. And some of you know that pain, right, uh, of, of the pain that your family of origin can cause and the damage that can only grow deeper and darker if left unreconciled well into your adult life and sometimes even all throughout your life. Well, so Joseph finally, the story goes on, he has a dream from God that tells him how to prepare for a severe sermon, uh, uh, um, severe, uh, did I say sermon? <laughs> severe famine that's about to come and sweep the land. And so, um, so God uses Joseph to bless the nation of, of Egypt right when his father's household is in another region where they're on the verge of starvation. And so while Joseph is ruling over Egypt, his father sends all of his brothers, go up to Egypt and talk to the commander there and see if you could buy any food for our family. So they come up here, come up to Egypt and they're standing before this big commander with all his robes and insignias and rings and they want to buy food and little do they realize that that commander that is standing in front of them is their little brother, Joseph. And so during the course of their interaction, Joseph sees the grace of God that has been working on his brother, breaking their hearts and changing them over the years that they've been apart. And Joseph finally reveals himself and breaks down to his brothers. And and then they realize, oh my goodness, this is the little brother that we sold into slavery who we thought was dead. And they break down down in shame and terror as they weep in God's presence. And and then listen to what Joseph says after going through all of that at the hands of, of his brothers. He says in Genesis chapter 45, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. In other words, he is saying, look, yes, my family hurt me, but they don't ultimately control my story. God does. And God is using my story to weave grace back into this world and to be a conduit of God's grace back into the very family who hurt me. And so this is where the the story turns. And for us, that that leaves us with this question. I don't know what you've been through at the hands of your family or siblings or anything else, but I do know from talking to so many people that family can cause so much heartbreak and heartache. And here's the question, are you willing to be a conduit of grace to those very people who hurt you? Will you embrace the stewardship of, you, of that God's, God, God, the role that God has given you to love these people the way that he has loved you? And maybe God is going, you know, you're debating in your head and maybe God's saying, you know, I, I know your grandpa's difficult. I know that. I made him. I totally understand but will you just love him the way I loved you? I know mom's like that. I'm working on her. And 
I'll, I'll share this on Mother's Day, right? Uh, uh, like a year ago, and even uh, right into my 40s, I'm still struggling with this, right? I have this tendency, uh, maybe some of you do too. My, my mom, and she will fully admit this, so I, I don't say this in any dishonoring way. My mom will, t- will readily admit that, that she's a nag, she loves nagging my dad. She nags me. And I remember a year ago, she was like bugging me about something and she just wouldn't let it go, wouldn't let it go. And I'm like, mom, I, I know, I know. And she's like, come on, son, come on. You know, and I, and I got to the point, and again, I'm like, you know, in my fourth decade, so it's not like I'm some young guy or a new Christian or anything. And, and, and I respond, I know, I, I, I know, mom, leave me alone. I'm an adult. And I remember at that moment, God clearly saying to me, you know, Sung, that speaks more to your impatience than it does to your mom nagging. So instead of critiquing her role, I'm just asking you to fill yours. Will you honor her? Will you, will you, will you speak graciously and gratefully to her? I just saw my parents last month. In fact, we were joking about that. Uh, we were joking about my mom nagging, and, and she was laughing about it. And, but here's the whole premise of this, this sermon today. Don't waste your family by falling, failing to take up your role as a member of your family. So that means speaking graciously and gratefully to them. If you've ever read the story of Steve Jobs, uh, his parents uh, gave him up when he was a, a little kid. And as an adult, he went on a search to find his biological parents, well, he finally found his mother, and when the, uh, so if you read his story, when asked why he went on this search, this is what he said. I went on this search to find my mother because I wanted to thank her for not aborting me. I assumed that she was under great duress as a young woman, so I simply wanted to say thank you. And maybe for some of you, maybe for a few, that, that's where you're at, but, but that's a good start to speak graciously and gratefully. And maybe you're thinking, well, my family doesn't deserve it. Of course not, they don't. But you're not doing this for them, you're doing it for the Lord. U.S. Department of Agriculture, I don't know if you've read the statistic yet, they say to raise a child from zero to the age of 18 costs approximately, any guesses? 700,000? Close, but not close. Quarter of a million dollars to raise a child from zero to 18. So if you're here with your parents today, or you're going to call your mom, or you're going to have lunch with uh, your mom or your parents or whatever it is today, look, just think about this, right? Just thank your parents for dropping a quarter million dollars on you, right? Because you've never dropped that kind of money on anybody. (laughs) And so will you honor your parents even as a function of honoring God himself. Why don't you bow down, bow your heads, and close your eyes, and let's pray. And so, God, we want to honor you with our lives, and that means even in the families that you've put us in, no matter how dysfunctional or or, uh, difficult they are, God, you call us to love. You call us to honor, and you call us to heed and obey. And so God, that is our desire because you, you say that you will bless us as we are a blessing to our parents and our families in this world. So God, that's our desire, to be a child of God who brings honor and glory to you and brings honor and glory 
to uh, well, honor to our families today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.